anyways, so we are in week two. Everybody say week two. I get all, I got to get all the goofies out. I'm getting goofy. We were getting goofy there for a second. Um, did we declare an actual winner of that? I don't think we did. We, we kind of said Zach. But, okay, so here, here, okay, so hold on. And we'll start the podcast recording after this. But, but, <laughs> but here's my thing, okay? So, so Zach, he got all five pretty quickly, but he was just super confident that the one was Canada Dry. And I just, you know, I pride comes before a fall, you know what I mean? So, like, I kind of... I, I kind of want, you know, I there's there's kind of a, 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 a tisk tisk right there. And then Ben was struggling, man. He was really struggling. He, he didn't know left from right. And, but then he eventually got it. But he was calling Pepsi ginger ale and Mountain Dew ginger ale and ginger ale Coke Zero. And, oh, and then Zach did say Dr. Pepper was Coke Zero, which is like his favorite soda. And you called it Coke, and you called it Coke Zero. I was pretty, I was pretty shocked by that. So I think, here, here's what I think happened. Here's what I think happened. Let's just be real. What happened was, we discovered pretty easily that root beer's the top tier soda. Because, because... They both got it right, right off the bat. Why would they get it right, right off the bat? Because, because they're even, even, even if they don't think it, their body knows root beer. Like, that's the best one. It's got the most nostalgia. It's just good, okay? So, um, they, they both tripped up on every single one except root beer. So, okay, okay, he did, he did, he did. He did. Yeah, but it was Zach's too, and he called it coke zero all right so anyways so i think officially the winner zach he got all five right in a timely manner uh only stumbled over two uh so ben, ben, i could see i could see but you guys both got five out of five so maybe we'll do a rematch later we'll see oh no that's this is this is a this is a youth group okay this is this is about god this is God's house. We don't do diet sodas in God's house. What? What happened? Were you saying something? Oh, we got up the ante. We could do. All right, all right. Okay, okay. Let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. Everybody, bring it back. Three, two, one. Shh. All right. Give me the next. 20 to 30 minutes, and then we'll act a fool afterwards, okay? But I believe I got to get the goofies out too because I believe that there's actually something really good for us today um, in kind of our studies here, um, Matthew chapter 13, we're, we're following that up. We were in Matthew chapter 13, um, also it was Mark 4 last week, and we're still there. So Matthew chapter 13 is pretty lit when it comes to uh, parables. And so we're in week two of this sermon series called What is the point. Everybody say, what is the point? And so the reason it's called what is the point is because it's a study on parables. Jesus speaks in these things called parables. Anybody know what a parable is? Raise your hand if you know what a parable is. Yes. Basically, yes. So it's a short story, uh, a fictitious story, um, which means it's not true, um, 
that points to something. It begs a question. Uh, but parables, they're not necessarily illustrations. More so, it's, it's a way to beg a question. It's a way to, um, to, to, for Jesus to ask a theological question that people who are trying to seek after him would want to know the answer and people who don't, won't. Right? And so, parables are sometimes kind of cryptic. Like, it takes, a little, it takes a little thinking to understand it. Sometimes in the Bible, Jesus explains the parable himself, which is kind of helpful for us. Um, in some cases, but in some cases he doesn't. And we're left to our own devices to try and figure out what these stories mean, right? And so, what's the point? We, in this series, are trying to get to the point of the story. Jesus tells us a story, and we're going to say, what's the point? The thing I'm going to do differently today is last week, I I put the scripture up on the screen. This week, I was thinking about it, and Jesus, when he was telling these stories, he would have just been in the town square, he'd been out in the wilderness, uh, on, maybe on a hill with some folks, maybe out by the lake. Jesus would have been out and about with a crowd in front of him, and he was just telling a story. And so when I read it, I'm not going to put the scripture up on the screen, because I want you to hear it as they would have heard it, just simply as a story. We we're not reading into the words that we see on the screen, but we're just hearing a story. And maybe when we do it that way, we might be informed a little bit, Uh, more by what it's trying to say, okay? But if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write down at least where these are found so you can go back and read them yourself. So it's Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to start kind of towards the end, verse 24, and then there's a few that go from there. I'm going to get right into it because I think it's it's some good stuff. So however you want to take in this story, you can. If you want to close your eyes and, and imagine it, if you want to just sit and listen, uh, that's cool, but let's, let's put ourselves in the place of the people being told these stories, okay? So Jesus is teaching. It's the same kind of backstory. Um, he was, a large, a large crowd was formed around him, so large he was on this boat, kind of offshore a little bit, and he's telling the story, these stories to the people, okay? And here we go, verse 24. Jesus, everybody say Jesus. All right, I'm just making sure you're awake, okay? Jesus presented, presented another parable to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven, notice how like almost all the parables that Jesus has told so far starts off with the kingdom of heaven, blah, 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 okay? The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Now we're back to the seed idea. Remember, everybody was here last week, we talked about good soil and seed, Okay? So the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares, which tares are like imitation plants. They would would have looked very similar to, um, I believe it was wheat that was planted. And so you wouldn't have been able to really tell the difference if you weren't the farmer. Okay? Does that make sense, everybody? So while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the land o- landowner, and these weren't like slaves as we would have known it like uh, in American history. These were more so like servants, um, 
my dad kind of explained it well this last weekend. So if someone saved somebody else's life, you would say, like, I'm indebted to you forever. And then technically, in the, way, the language of the day, you would become a slave to that person, if that makes sense. And so the language of, of slavery as we uh, know it um, more recently is not necessarily, sometimes it is, but it's not necessarily the same in the Bible. So let's keep that in mind as you're reading scriptures on your own as well, um, that some of these, a word like slavery could be a trigger word, but it doesn't need to be in this case, okay? So it's just kind of a servant, a worker, um, someone like that, okay? So, the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. The slave said to him, do you, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no. For while you are gathering up the tares, you may accidentally uproot the wheat with them. So he said, allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up but gather the wheat in my barn. So, more of the story is, they planted good seed. The, the interesting thing about last week's story is that the, the seed was always the same, the soil was different. Right? And so for us, the, the, the word of God, the message, the gospel, is the same. It just falls on different soil, right? But so in this instance, Jesus is clear to say it's good seed. This is, this is good seed. He plants good seed in the field, and an enemy comes and, and plants tares in, in the same place. And so as they grow up, you see wheat, but then you also see tares, which are um, it, it, like imitation wheat that's like kind of like a weed, and it will, it's not good. Um, so the enemy kind of played a rough prank on, the, on this person. Um, and so then the, then the, the servants say, well, okay, let's go out into the field, and we'll take out all the tares and just leave the good wheat. And the owner, the landowner, the farmer, says, you know what, I don't think you should do that because with your level of expertise, you're not going to be able to know the difference between good wheat and bad wheat. So we're going to let them grow together, and then at the end, I'll separate them myself. So there's the first parable. Pretty interesting. And you guys are probably, your minds are probably racing like, what does this mean, right? It's kind of fun. They're kind of like riddles. You're like, what? The next one is the mustard seed again. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. And we read this last week. And this is smaller than all the other seeds, but when it's full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and nest in its branches. Then there's a really short one. It's interesting. It's called the leaven. Then he spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was leavened. That's it. That's the whole story. Then he moves on. There's all these parables, right? Then he explains the tares, which I'll do in a little bit. But then there's three more that I find very interesting. These are really quick. The first one is the hidden treasure. Jesus says, once again, you could probably guess how he's going to start this parable. How do you think he's going to start this parable? The kingdom of heaven. All right. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and then hid again. So imagine someone, Captain Jack Sparrow, going out to this field. There's no laughs there, but it's okay. Um, And he... 
finds this buried treasure. And you find this buried treasure, and what, you, what are you going to do? It's like, let's say it's so much treasure, you can't just take it back yourself. So what, what are you going to do? You're going to rebury it. Hide it. And then the man goes back. After he's reburied this in this field, he goes back, sells everything he has. Everything he owns, and he buys that plot of land. So he found treasure, goes back, and says to himself, everything that I have is not nearly worth as much as that treasure. So he sells everything that he has for that plot of land, because he knows in that plot of land lies a treasure. Again, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Similar story. But then there's a last story that's very interesting. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea. A dragnet cast into the sea. And gathering fish, you know what a dragnet is? Anybody? It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, get it? Okay. So a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach. And they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad fish they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of the fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then he says, have you understood these things? And they said to him, yes. So Jesus tells a lot of stories all at once. There's like six right there, but I'm going to focus on four of them. So we're going to focus on the very first one with the tares. Everybody remember that one, right? And then we're going to, we're going to focus on the buried treasure and, and the pearl, that's three and four. And then the last one, we're going to focus on the dragnet, okay? So like I said at the beginning, Jesus speaks in parables because he's begging questions. And so I've come up with three questions here that I think Jesus is trying to get us to answer. Question number one, if we look at the story with the tares, there's, there's, there's good, good um, seed planted. It grows good wheat, but among the wheat, the enemy planted tares. So the question I think here is, why do we live amongst evil? Why do we as Christians, who are trying our best to be good, is everybody in this room trying their best to be a good person? I think even people who aren't Christians are trying their best to be good people. Most of the time. I think there's some inherently evil people out there. I think all of us have a fallen nature. It's biblical. But I think for the most part, we try our best, right? So the question is, why, why do we often, oftentimes find ourselves as, as the wheat? It's good. But amongst us is a lot of tares. We talked about this last week. I, I even told one student, Straight up, after service, I said, hey, you're the one mixed in with all the thorns. And, and the student looked back and was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but most of us find ourselves in that position where we're trying our best, but we really like to hang out with the people we hang out with, and we find ourselves getting into more trouble than we should be. But then you're like, how am I supposed to live this Christ-following life if not everybody's following Christ? And also, it, it asks a further question. I used to have, it's not as big of a problem now, but back when I first became the youth pastor, I used to have this problem that there was like, 
there was a few people in the youth group um, and some leaders that were really, really protective over the group, which is great in some aspects, but not great when like any student or leader that walked in that was not up to code, I guess, with them. It was like, uh, Brett, I get a really bad feeling about that kid, you know, and I'm like, cool, bring him in. One of those kids that a lot of folks had a really bad feeling about was Kevin. <laughs> and he's still here. <laughs> but, no, 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 but this is a really good lesson. This is part of it. Jesus is saying, don't try and separate the wheat and the tares because you don't know which one's which. So, so let them be together. Because eventually I'll just do it myself. Does that make sense, everybody? So if you walk into a place and you're like, oh, well, this person's just, they're not, they're not very good. I don't like them. I'm a really, I, I hear this all the time. People are like, I'm a really good judge of character. No, you're not. I'm a super good judge of character. I can just tell when someone walks in the room if they're a good person or not. No, no, we could all just tell that you're super judgmental. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, if someone's saying, if, that, if, if that's someone's calling card, like, oh, I could just tell when someone walks in the room if they're a good person or not. We just, you, just all, you just told us all that you just judge everybody. So then we all just became really good judges of character, and yours isn't very good, right? Does that make sense? So, so in the instance, in the story of Kevin, I'm gonna, I, I wasn't planning on using you, but I'm going I'm, I'm to go with this today. Because I was kind of in that, I was like, man, you know, Back then, Sarah's like this, you know, like sweet, you know, innocent girl who's like in the, the one daughter in the mix of all the boys, you know, like the Cox family. And it's like everyone's like, protect Sarah at all costs, you know. And this guy, Kevin, comes in trying to date Sarah. And we're like, kill Kevin, you know. <laughs> Who do you want, Jesus or Barabbas? Kevin, you know. <laughs> like, throw him on the cross. No, I'm just kidding. But so it's like, what is this dude? He's like writing love songs to Sarah. I'm like, dude, you don't know her. You don't know her, you know. Everyone's like, what's, what's the dirt on this Kevin guy, you know? Everyone's like, we're trying to find something bad on him, you know? We couldn't find much, you know? There's a few things, but, you know, not enough to make a good case. But you know what? If I would have tried to separate that, if I would have tried to decide that Kevin was a tear instead of wheat, then we wouldn't be here where we are right now. Kevin's a really important part of this church and of this group. So what I learned is that I'm gonna let I'm gonna let Jesus decide. Obviously, there's certain parts where you're like, "Oh, for sure, that's not good," right? But the po- that's not the point of this story. It's not saying should we pull the weeds. It's saying should we should we take the tares away from the wheat? Right? They're indistinguishable to someone who doesn't know what they're doing. And at that point in my ministry, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> so the question is why. Do we live amongst evil? Why do good things happen to bad people? Somebody asked me this at retreat, I think, last year. Why do good things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? But reversely, why do good things happen to bad people? And that and that's the answer that Jesus is trying to get to here. But the question he's begging, and he doesn't answer it right away, but it leads us to think maybe because Jesus wants to give people a chance to change. And here's what I mean by that. The reason that we're not supposed to separate the two 
is because if we get away from the, the metaphor of the wheat and the tares, anybody ever met somebody that was completely different when you first met them to who they are now? And if we're always trying to separate folks, we don't let, people, we don't let life change happen. If we try to separate folks, if we try to decide where people are at in their walk with Jesus right away, then what we end up doing is only allowing in mature Christ followers. So then we don't become a place that's available for the lost. And Jesus says himself in the Bible, Jesus says that a hospital is not for the healthy but for the sick. And the cool thing is the longer you become a Christian, the longer you realize we're all sick. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so the purpose, I, I hear people all the time, and it breaks my heart. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm just not in the right place to be going to church right now. No, you're in the perfect place to be going to church. Because I'm not in the right place to be going to church too, either. Not to say that me as, you know, your youth pastor is like out doing super crazy wicked stuff. I'm not. But I, but I mess up. Sometimes my anger comes out at home. And, I, you know, and I'm like frustrated at Danielle over something stupid I shouldn't be frustrated at, at her. Frustrated at her for, about, English is hard, uh, but you get the point. Or maybe I stretch the truth sometimes. I'm trying, I'm telling a story and I, you know, and I'm like, oh, this story's, midway through the story, I'm like, this story's kind of lame. I got to spice it up, you know? And so then I tell, I tell a little lie. And in that, in that instance, is it bad? Maybe not, but then it, it conditions me to do that more often. I was telling somebody the other day, the reason sin's so bad is because it teaches you to keep doing it. All right, so that's question number one. Why do we live amongst evil? And hopefully that kind of gives us a picture of the answer. Number two, the question here with the hidden treasure and the pearl, the question is, how important is the kingdom of heaven? Every single parable that Jesus talks about, there's like 10 of them in one chapter. Every single one, he starts with, the kingdom of heaven is like... And so after about the seventh one, he decides, you know what, I'm going to tell you how important the kingdom of heaven is. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure found in a field that when you find it, you bury it, you go sell everything you have just to buy the field so that you can have that treasure. But how many of us have done that? We found Jesus, we found salvation, we found uh, a place to, to, to meet and to gather and to worship him, but we haven't quite sold out for him yet. We haven't quite given our whole selves to the idea yet. God just seems like kind of like a good idea. And if someone else goes and buys that field, I'll, I'll take a couple pieces of the treasure. But I don't know that I would go out of my way to sell everything I have to buy that land. So the question is, how important is the kingdom? And the answer is, it's really important. It's like a treasure. It's important enough that if you really understand it, you'd sell everything you have to get it. The cool thing is, you don't have to. Most of the time. At first, all you have to do is say yes, and you inherit the kingdom of heaven. But then as you keep going, you realize that everything that you own, you don't have to sell it to get to heaven. You just sell it because it's holding you back. So you, I don't need this stuff anymore. Right? I don't need to get rid of it to get to heaven. I just need to get rid of it to, so I can keep up, <laughs> so I can be there. Does that make sense? And so some of us, we, we're all on a journey. None of us are perfect. But some of us have to decide if we're going to sell out for Jesus or not. And there, I've been reading this book that's really, it's crazy. I wasn't going to tell you I'm reading it, but I'm reading it. 
the, the, the job, the, my job as a youth pastor is I'm trying, before, like 10, 15 years ago, the job of a youth pastor was to just ha- like do crazy stuff, dye your hair purple and, and shave one eyebrow and make kids laugh and then sprinkle in Jesus, which is good that I'm not in that era because I'm not that good at that stuff. But the new thing is you guys all have big questions. Because of the social media age, you're open, you're getting told everything. So my job as a youth pastor is the best I can to try and answer some of these big questions. So I've been reading some books. Someone came to me last week and was like, I'm skeptical about God. So right when they're talking, I bought two books on skepticism. I bought a book called The Reason for God. I bought a, another book called Making Sense of God. Is that right? And I haven't started them yet because I'm on this other book. And I'm on this other book called um, The War of Loves, I think is what it's called. I'm like 24 chapters in. It's the craziest story I've ever read. It's a story of a, of a gay activist who finds Jesus. And it's, it's the most, like, like I, it's a story I've never heard. Because I'm, you know, I'm not a gay activist. So I, <laughs> so, so I don't understand that story. So I'm in the I'm in the depths of this story. I'm in and I, and I'm reading it in this and and this in this guy his name's David and and he tries everything. He he tries Buddhism, he tries uh he tries Satanism, he tries to be an atheist, he tries to be an existentialist, he tries to be a Wiccan, he tries to be all these other things and eventually he he doesn't land on any of them, but he lands on the fact that he hates Jesus because the Christian image of, of, of homosexuality is, is to him, in his mind, is evil, right? And so he lands on the fact in the, in the first section of the book that he's going to do everything he possibly can to shut down the church. So me, I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, shoot, you know. <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just in this book, and he's talking about struggles and, and, and just... And, and just the mindset, and, 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 and it's eye-opening to me. But then eventually, he gets to this point, there's this, there's this girl he knows is sitting at, at, at this bar, funny enough, and, and, and they're talking, and she, she gets an award for a film that she made, and he goes, how did you do that? How did you get the idea for the film? She goes, you want the real answer or the interview answer? He goes, I want the real answer. She goes, God gave me a dream, and I did it. And he goes, don't tell me like that. Don't tell me that. He's like, I hate God. God doesn't love you. God's not even real. And they start arguing. She goes, hey, you know what? I think... God loves you a lot more than you think he does. And she goes, I think you've tried everything else. Can I just pray for you? And then he's like, you know what? Sure, I, don't, I mean, nothing's going to happen, but go ahead. She prays for him, and he said that he's, this was the most love that he ever felt in his entire life. He felt this warm embrace, and, 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 and nothing else in the world mattered. And then <laughs> he came to a crisis point where he decided that I'm going to follow Jesus with everything I have. Even if I have to give up what I love. And I'm not going to ruin the end of the story, but it's this. Basically, this guy David sold out for Jesus. Completely. And he challenged even me, where he's saying that sometimes people even put um, marriage, gay or straight, Put the idea of marriage, the intimacy found in marriage, you put that above the intimacy found with Jesus. And he says, you know what? The intimacy at the human level isn't that important to me anymore because I just want the intimacy with Jesus. It's this crazy concept. It's 
provocative. It's mind-blowing. But what it does is it's this story. This guy, David, found a treasure in the field, reburied it, went back, sold everything he had. And all he wants is the treasure. It's inspiring. It's inspiring to me. The story's crazy. You should, if, you're, like, if that intrigued you, buy the book. Just read it. It's good. So how important is the kingdom? The kingdom is so important that I would lay my life down for it. The kingdom is so important, it's more important than Danielle. The kingdom is so important, it's more important than, than Vince to me. The kingdom is so important, it's more important than anything in my life. That if God asked me to give it up, I would. We see Abraham, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his own son. Crazy, what? Luckily, I haven't heard of God asking anybody to do that recently. But he said, anything, I'll do anything for God. Are we there yet? I don't know. Number three, the question is, how, if, if heaven is that important, if the kingdom of heaven is that important, how do I get in? So Jesus says that we live amongst evil because he's going to separate at the end. Then he says the kingdom of heaven is super important. Then the last question he asks is, if it's so important, how do you get in? And he answers that with righteousness. Some of you are thinking, heresy, hold on. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from amongst the righteous. So the righteous stick around. But then you're thinking to yourself, if, you, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you're thinking to yourself, like I thought to myself when I read this, that's impossible, I'll never be righteous. So I'll never get in. The Bible says that my attempts at righteousness are filthy rags compared to his. So if the way that I get in is righteousness, I'll never get in. But, one scripture and we'll throw it up. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin, to be, I, I italicize that because the original name that God tells the children of Israel is I am that I am, and, and really in the Hebrew word it relates closely, most closely to be. So he made him who knew no sin to be Sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So the way that I get in is righteousness that I can never achieve on my own. And so the way that I achieve it is through Jesus. So Jesus is asking this question but not answering it. We know the answer. But the people he's telling the story to, they don't know the answer. He's saying we're separating righteous from wicked and they're all saying, but... How can I ever be righteous? And Jesus goes, I don't know, figure it out. <laughs> and walks away. So then, so then the folks that are trying to follow Jesus are like, how can I be righteous? Right? And eventually they get to the point where Jesus tells them, no one comes to the Father but through me. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Right? It's possible. Here's the thing about righteousness. I've been talking with Ben about this a lot. I've been doing studies on it. The crazy thing about righteousness is that we, and I said this last week, we put love over everything. Love is good. It's good. But in, in the grand scheme of God, holiness is way more important than, than love. And so what is righteousness? Righteousness is simply holiness acted out. I said this to Ben last night as I was studying. 
If I live in a, a mental state of holiness, I walk in a physical state of righteousness. Does that make sense? Not that I'll ever be perfect. I won't ever be perfect. But it should still be the goal. If the, if the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin so that I might become the righteousness of Christ, it's not that I'm hypothetically becoming the righteousness of Christ. It's that I might actually become that. Each and every day through a transformative process. And it'll never be completed until I get to heaven with him. But each and every day I should be getting closer. I should be striving for righteousness. Amen? So my, my I'm, I'm ending right here, but my, my brother-in-law, Jared, who's ever met Jared? Anybody ever met Jared? Jared's cool. He used to be a Marine. Now he's a pastor in L.A. Um, cool dude. We were talking oh, probably about a year ago. And I said, Jared, what, if you were going to tell any leader or pastor what, what they should strive after, what would it be? And he said, well, I read this in a book. I can't remember what book he said he read it in. But he said, three things stand out to me. He said, we should be holy, we should be humble, and we should be hungry. I'm like, well, that's pretty convenient. They all start with H's, you know. Give me a name that starts with H. Jose. Uh, did you guys see that one on Family Feud? Okay, anyways, this is a joke. Um, holy humble, and hungry. I think the reason I'm ending with this is I actually think that's really profound. If we all can think about that. That if our number one goal is to be holy, then I try to live a life as close to Jesus as I possibly can. And because of that, I love well and do all the other things. So holiness and then humbleness. I, I, I remember my story about the humble architect. Does anybody remember that? The humble architect looks at somebody a building that was the most beautiful building built in the entire world, and he's just as excited about it if somebody else built it. Not just him. But he can also be excited about it if he built it. So it's not false. But to God be the glory. So holy, humble, and hungry. What does hungry mean? Hungry means, I love this group, but I want to I wanna see more people. I want to see more folks come to Jesus. I want to see the kingdom of heaven expand. I want to see people find the treasure in the field and sell everything they have to get it. Does that make sense? And all my messages are now starting to sound the same because I think I have, <laughs> I think I have a heart for it this year. I think we're going to go and get our friends. I think we're going to go become fishers of men, as the Bible says. So let that be our, our lesson from today. The kingdom of heaven is important, and I'm going to do everything I possibly can to get it. Amen? Let's stand up, let's pray, and then we're going to celebrate birthdays. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word, that it's so good. Thank you for the way that you taught, Jesus, that it's interesting, that it's engaging, that it makes us want, it leaves us wanting more. And so we seek after you, and we seek for more, and we and we get it each and every time. So help us to seek your face. Help us to understand the weight of your glory. And help us to sell everything we have to buy that field with the treasure in it. In Jesus' name, amen.